Let's pray together. Father God, it is good to be in your presence. It's good to have you on our mind. It is good to have this Sabbath day to worship with you, to worship you, and think of you as we spend this time together. God, be here in this place. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So I want to first start by thanking Peter Chamberlain. I'm going to give him the title of B-H-E, since he gave Braden B-B-E. I'm going to call him my bipolar hype man, because there's nothing more disappointing than hearing, hey, man, we all expected you to be here last week, and remember when those kids were all lined up? They were super excited, and then you didn't show up. But let me read you this rousing speech about how you're a warrior. <laughs> okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Now I'm excited. Now I'm excited. So thank you, Peter. I'm not sure where you are. Yeah, thanks, Peter. I, I appreciate the deepest depths and the highest highs. I appreciate that. <laughs> Let's start today in scripture. Patty Chamberlain uh, read it so beautifully. I'm mostly going to stick to uh, the back end uh, of this week's scripture, uh, Isaiah 43, 18 and 19. Um, but we're going we're gonna to go back to uh, 43, 1 through 7. Uh, it's this, this, these words to remember, this idea of, I'm about to do a new thing. Uh, there's something about that that can be super exciting. I think we need to do more to dive deep into what that means and uh, why it means what it means. In the sense that uh, this idea of new, there's this new thing, and we should probably figure out what it is God is talking about and what it is he's not talking about, because I think there's, there's a lot of pieces here when it comes to this idea of innovation and what it means to be an innovator. Uh, we have to figure out what that new thing is, what that new thing isn't. Last week, Ray came uh, up here, and he preached a sermon about this idea of Pentecost, and the tongues of fire that came down on these people, and they did a new thing there, something that people didn't expect to the point that Peter talks about the fact that they are, they are drunk or they are not drunk because it's too early in the morning, and Peter uh, missed his calling as a bad stand-up comedian. But in this case, uh, I think Ray set this idea of, of where we could go, but we're not necessarily quite there yet. This idea of Pentecost, like if it happened right now, I think it'd be really shocking if all of a sudden like, that door blew open and all of a sudden I started speaking in tongues and you all totally understood what I was doing. That would be that new thing, but it's not necessarily the first thing. It was the first part of this series, but I think we can spend some more time on what it is that has to happen between right now and then in order to send how we are a part of that conversation because we are a part of that conversation uh, to the point that, uh, as Patty read before, this idea of Isaiah 43, 1 through 7, and uh, this, this person, this being, this you in the story that is able to walk through fire and, and floods, and if you're, you're ever kidnapped, you'll be ransomed, no problem. You, you won't be there 20 minutes before somebody comes knocking on the door and say, hey, we, we need him back. He's far too important. I think, unfortunately, if you're anything like me, you would think to yourself, well, that's not me right now. Like, I don't, I, I'm not sure I could walk through fire. Right, like if you ask right now, could I walk through fire and not be burned? I'm not so sure I could do it. I'm not so sure if I was kidnapped right now, 
Japheth would be able to come up with sons and daughters, which is also a really weird version of Isaiah, where it's just like, we're going to get these people. We're going to make them captives. You'll be free, though. You're great. Not them. They're great. I'm not sure if, if, if Javid could pull together the funds to get me out right now. So something has to change, and we should figure out what that, what that something is, what that, what that new thing is. I'm here to hypothesize uh, that new thing has more to do with us than it has to do with God. Uh, and if we are to be this new thing, uh, how carefully we have to navigate our way to it. Uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts and, you know, every once in a while you're listening to something and then they break in with an ad all of a sudden. I've been hearing this ad recently for uh, this app called Noom. I'm not sure if anybody has heard of it. I'm also not here to pitch it. I, like, Noom didn't pay me to add this to it. I'm also not going to be telling you what I'm listening to at audible.com. But um, this, this ad for Noom caught my attention because they have this idea of like, hey, if you're interested in losing weight... Here's the way to do it. There's the wrong way and there's the right way. The wrong way is you go on this diet, you go through their track, you get to the end, and then there's nothing. So you've got this idea, you're starting to lose weight, you're starting to feel great, you get to the end of the 52-week cycle, and then there's nothing else for you, and you think to yourself, oh, well, I'll just keep doing the things that I'm doing, but when you don't have that envelope that shows up every single week where you open it, and it's like... All right, what do I do this week? Stop eating McDonald's. Good, yeah, yeah, got that. Eat this kale salad. Good, great. And if you just keep doing that, you know, walk 10,000 steps. Yep, I've I, I got it, I got it. But one day the book doesn't show up. All of a sudden your accountability goes out the window. And with it, you fall back into bad habits. And this new thing that you've gone into suddenly becomes the old thing and you start retracing your steps back into some other places. And so Noom is saying, hey, we've fixed it. Uh, this is actually an app to get you connected to a community and we'll hold you accountable and you'll be able to tell your success stories. You'll be able to tell your, your sob stories. You'll be able to work with people who are going through what it is you're going through. And I think that's beautiful. And I think there's something about that that resonates with me as I read through Isaiah and this idea that this new thing is different from an old thing. And it's not supposed to be the old thing. And you're not supposed to be the old thing. As a matter of fact, you're supposed to be a new thing. So we have to get innovative with you. Because here's the reality. This is the, the starting point here, is there is nothing innovative about salvation. Nothing. There's nothing about salvation that is new or different. It's the same all the time. Have you accepted Jesus Christ into your heart? You have, sweet. Nobody's come up with a new way to do it. Oh, man, you, you got you to hear this new version of, of how to become a Christian. Oh, man, you're going to love it. You know what you do? You accept Jesus into your heart. Upside down. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> there's, there's nothing innovative about it. We know this because we just sang three songs together that basically say there's nothing new about salvation. If anybody was to ask you, man, like, what do, what do I do to, to be a part of, of this thing that you guys do? Like, you come to church, it seems super cool. What, what's the idea? The first song we sang is like, well, there's this, this Jesus, and, and uh, he's knocking at the door of your heart. Like, cool. How often does he do, do that? All the time. He's super relentless about it. 
Oh, what's, what's he going to do tomorrow? Oh, he's going to knock at the door of your heart. And what about three weeks from now? Oh, you're going to love it. He's going to knock at the door of your heart. Innovation. But when he gets into my heart, it's going to be this like super special love that's just for me, right? No. No, it's the same love that everybody else gets. It does not matter who you are. It is the same love. Not very innovative. And amen for that. It is the same love. And that's a good thing. You get this person who's, okay, well, great. It's not going to be individualized. And, you know, it's going to be pretty much the same thing. So, like, he's going to put the song into my heart, right? Like, yeah, yeah, you're going to sing new songs. Like, no, you're just going to sing Alleluia endlessly. That's it. You just, you just sing Alleluia? Yeah, yeah, God's really into that. He loves that word. Nothing else? I mean, you can sing holy, holy, holy. Track one or track two, it's really up to you. There is nothing innovative about salvation. Now, don't get me wrong. What I am not saying is there is nothing innovative about Jesus. I am not saying that. I'm saying there's nothing innovative about salvation. Jesus, greatest innovator. You, you remember um, everything? Yeah, that was his idea. So yeah, great innovator. Salvation, not that innovative. And it's not supposed to be. So when God says this in Isaiah and he talks about, I am going to do a new thing, it's probably not salvation. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, it's not salvation. So something new must be happening. I'm going to do a new thing and it's not going to be change me. God says. So instead, something else has to change. I think it's us. I think we are the innovation. I think there is an old thing, which is who we are, who we used to be, and who God is determining for us to become. And if we become that innovation, then maybe there's something we can do about it. And so what I'd like to do is to walk us through that. What does that look like to go from the old to the new? And what does it take to get there? I'd like to break it up into a bunch of different places, but I want to start here. What are the steps to becoming a new humanity? We as people. There's got to be a a flight plan. There's got to be a way to get from where we are to to where we're going or else God wouldn't have given us, you know, this this beautiful thing. I'm going to make a path through the wilderness. I'm going to make a path through the desert. And along the way, you're going to walk through floods and fires. That sounds awesome. How do we get to the starting line. And so let's talk about that. The steps to becoming a new community, I'm going, or a new humanity, I'm gonna break you up into three different places and I will let you choose which one you pick. Three different flight plans, completely different. It is be uh, a designation for people who are thinking about it. Just gonna make it really, really plain. Let's say you are thinking about taking a step towards Jesus. You're looking at Christianity and you're thinking, I'm not quite there yet. I'm not sure if I want to go to church every week. Maybe I'll just hit the good ones, the Christmas, the Easter. Thinking about it. That's group number one. Not quite in the, in the crowd, but thinking about becoming a part of it. Then the second one, we're going to put you together as the, the newly minted group. The group that is 
been baptized. You said, you know what? I want to accept Jesus into my heart. I, I want to follow him in all things. I want to add a caveat here. What I don't mean is if you were baptized recently. What I mean is if you have been baptized within uh, zero minutes and 20 years ago. Because there's a big gap there. Some people get baptized at the age of 12. And it's not till they get to 32 when they're like, oh yeah, that's what that was about. Huh. I, I see it. I'm not sure I understood it then. But I understand it better now. There are some people who got baptized at a certain stage of life and then something else happened. I'm giving myself to Christ. I believe in this whole thing. And then I go and do something that I regret and it sets me back at zero. And it takes a while for that whole thing to come in. A friend of mine just got baptized last week. And I asked him, hey man, what's it like being baptized? He's like, oh, it's exactly the same. But I'll let you know if something changes. And I told him, that's completely normal. It takes a minute. It's not like you come out of the water and be like, I can see through walls. I hear Jesus' voice in my head. And he told me exactly what to do. And I know the path of life. It doesn't happen like that. Not, not for me, at least. Maybe it happened to Japheth. He seems like the kind of person that saw Jesus' eyes as he came out of the water, as the dove came up and he went, yep, I knew it. I knew it. But it takes a while. So for those of you who are newly minted, meaning that you've been baptized within the last 20 years, there's a flight plan for you that's completely different from the flight plan of the people who are still thinking about it. And then the third one, the firmly rooted group, those who have been baptized, they know the role, they understand church, they get Jesus in my heart, deeply rooted, we are good. Flight plan one, two, and three. I'm going to walk through all of them. Like I said, vastly different from one another. So just pick your version and then follow it all the way through. So for, let's start at the beginning. Let's start with the people who are still thinking about it. I'm going to give you three easy steps, all right? Step number one, get humble. You don't have to be humble. You just have to get yourself to a place where humility is a part of your regular processing. The way to do that, the easiest way to do that is just practice listening skills. Just listen. I think the one thing people don't understand or misconstrue is that if you're deciding to become a Christian, you have to know everything first. Like, I have to be ready for the test. There's always a test. I haven't studied enough yet. I don't quite understand Revelation, so I probably shouldn't get baptized. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about what you know. Just start practicing good listening skills. Read the scripture. It says that Jesus came and he had a desire to be a part of his life. You read, you read Matthew 18 and it says, you know, hey, every once in a while you're going to run into these skirmishes with other people. Here's what you do. Go to them directly. If that doesn't work, then take somebody else with you. If that doesn't work, take an elder with you, a trusted elder. And if that doesn't work, take it before the church. But don't spend any time talking to some other person. Just talk to them. Your beef is with them. Okay, I'm, I'm not sure I fully understand how that works. Like, if I'm mad at my sister, do I really have to bring it to the church if she won't listen? Don't worry about that. But start listening other places. Somebody comes to you, a friend, a close friend, who says, oh man, you have got to hear what happened to so-and-so. Let me tell you this. She did da-da-da, da-da-da, da-da-da. Listen. Do you hear the difference? 
God is calling you to do this one thing. I'm not sure I fully understand it, but it doesn't sound like this. I don't think that's what we're supposed to be doing. I don't know if I understand why I'm not supposed to be doing this and I am supposed to be doing this, but listen for it. God is giving you instructions through scripture. Here are some things to keep in mind. Put these people first. Put yourself last. Okay, I'm not sure I, I'm, I'm not sure I get that. But listen, for the people who want to be first, uh, those don't match. They seem to miss. So cultivate good listening skills. Just start there. Step number two, get hungry. Hunger is going to take you a long, long way in all of this. You don't have to necessarily know what you are hungry for, but just know that along the way, hunger usually helps people more than it hurts people. Think of the rich young ruler. Rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, hey, listen, I, I, I'm, into, I'm into your brand. I'd love to follow you around. And Jesus turns to him and says, you're just not hungry enough, son. You look like you eat well every day. You look like you can rely on your own understanding. You look like the kind of person that has enough around you to keep you from the struggle. So therefore, I, I'm not sure you're the right guy. So, so what do I do, Jesus? What do I do? He says, go sell everything you own and then come follow me. Get hungry first. Your hunger is going to take you a long way. If you're spending all your time thinking you are fulfilled and you are never hungry, get hungry. God uses the hungry people. Moses, who's out and he kills a man and he runs away and he thinks, this isn't it. I am not happy with the way things are going. Boom, burning bush. Moses, you look like you're in, at the end of your wits. You look like you're starving. You are hungry for me. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get you and all your hungry friends, and I'm going to do something incredible through you. Don't you worry. I'll take care of the rest. Yeah, you got a speech impediment. Don't worry about it. It's your hunger I'm after, nothing else. So step one, get humble. Start listening. You don't know everything. There's a lot that people can teach you. Step number two, get hungry. Look for the thing that seems to be lacking in your life and find it and feast on that thing. Step number three, get vigilant. Vigilance works in a, in a, in a strange way. It's been used as a, as a negative term, this idea of vigilance and standing guard against something else. Maybe you're not sure what it is you're guarding yet, but you're starting to understand faith in a different way. If you're, if you're humble, you realize there's, there's some things you can learn. You're hungry, you realize that there's something you can't fill yourself or with other people or with things. This vigilance of faith does not have to be any different than just simply picking virtuous things. Virtuousness is this idea of morality. Do something good. What's the good thing here? If I have choices to do this thing, this thing, or this thing, which one is the good thing? Practice virtuosity. They say that knowledge is knowing what to do. Wisdom is knowing how to do it. Virtue is knowing when and why to do it. And you don't even have to know when and why. But when you get yourself into a situation, you think to yourself, oh, I've got options here. Stop for a moment and think to yourself, I will practice virtue. Do the good thing. Simply because it's the good thing. And just get yourself into a rhythm of doing virtuous things, of staying hungry and being humble. 
If you are still thinking about deciding whether or not Christ is, is the option for you, three easy steps to get yourself from where you are to where you could be. But then let's talk about the newly arrived, the newly minted. This one's completely different than the last one, all right? So step number one for those of you who have been baptized between zero minutes and 20 years. Step number one, be humble. So different. It doesn't seem like it, but it is. Step number one for those who are thinking about it is to get humble, except you have been baptized. So your job is to maintain humility, which is easier said than done. I will tell you this, I just came back from Andrews University not too long ago. It is amazing what a bachelor's degree will do in the hands of a master's student at the seminary. You know everything. Oh, I went to Southern Adventist University. I stayed in Taj Hall. I got a C minus in theology, and I took Greek four times. <laughs> Woo! Can't stop me now. You get into every classroom and every professor, idiot. That's not what I think, because I wrote this in a paper that got me a B plus. This guy with what, two PhDs, what does he know? They're doing it wrong here. This isn't, oh, this is so dumb. I shouldn't have to take this class. I took this class at La Sierra University. This is ridiculous. Don't you know I have a bachelor's degree? It's different. It's not getting humble. You already know how to be humble. That bachelor's degree should have come with a, a level of humility, but it doesn't at the seminary. Oof. And I was one of them. I am not here to say my friends over there, my colleagues, I was one of them. I'm still doing it. I did it to Elia while I was standing here. He says, hey man, you look really great since the last time I saw you. I was like, yeah, I'm less depressed. I'm not at Andrews anymore. <laughs> it doesn't go away. It's something you have to work on, which is why it's different than the first one. It's maintenance. Maintain your humility. It is not a matter of just doing the thing over and over and over again. In this case, find your way to being open, to staying open. And the reality that your bachelor's is just not good enough. Newsflash, your master's degree, also not good enough. And yet here I am up here trying to teach you what I've learned, hoping you don't make the same mistakes that I've seen myself and others make. There's so much more to learn. You don't know everything yet. You were just baptized 20 years ago. You're still figuring it out, and that's okay. So stay open. There's so much more to learn. So be humble. Step number two, different than the first one, is be hungry. Cultivate faithful habits. Now, I'm going to use habits intentionally here when in a place where I did not use habits in the last realm. Because unfortunately, when you're still thinking about it, habits can become a problem. You're thinking about, oh, yeah, Christianity, you just show up at church on Saturday and then you're all good, like you bunch of hypocrites. And you look at the habits of those who are still trying to figure it out and you think, well, habits is a negative thing. For them, it is. They're just doing it because they think it's the thing to do. It's rote memorization. It's not something that comes from here. It's something that comes from here. 
And so instead, for those of you who are feeling like you are newly arrived, you're feeling like you're good coming out of the baptismal tank, your job is to be hungry and cultivate faithful habits because it's easy to fall out of them. More often than not, you think, oh, well, you know, I did this and, and I got baptized and that was super exciting. And then, um, you know, I did Habitat for Humanity for a bit. And uh, that was eight years ago. Those things happen if you're not careful and you're not building faithful habits, you will forget. There's going to come a point where somebody's going to knock on your door and go, hey man, like, so how's tithe work for you? You know, to be honest, uh, I used to give tithe, like, back in the day, but I just stopped for some reason and I never got in the habit of doing it again. The difference between those of you who are newly arrived and those who are still thinking about it is that you don't have to go back to go. You don't have to spend $200. Just start doing them again. Just from where you are right now, that thing that you've been thinking, man, you know, I used to love blank. But ever since blank, I never do blank anymore. I don't know what happened. I, just life just hit me. Once I had that kid, you know, once I started that job, once I started dating so-and-so, you just fall out of that rhythm. You don't have to go back to the beginning. It's all right to just start cultivating them again. Cultivate healthy, faithful habits. Don't just get hungry, be hungry. Point number three, be vigilant. Not get vigilant, but be vigilant. I want to talk about for a second this idea of free will, because free will comes into this. And here's the hard part. Here's the sticky problem that comes with believing that you've made some changes. You know, you, you did the diet 52 weeks, and all of a sudden you fell back into the old thing. You're not the new thing anymore. There's something about free will that is really tricky here, and I'm not going to go into all of it and the philosophy and the understanding of free will, but just for a second, let's take a baseline understanding. Free will basically is the idea that God loves you so much that he wants you to choose your fate and distance from him. I want you to love me, says God, so you decide. I'm going to knock at the door of your heart. I'm going to do it relentlessly. What I'm offering you is the same love I give to everybody else in hopes that you will sing Alleluia endlessly. But it's your call. And that's beautiful. But there are rules of engagement for free will that do not apply on the other side. Have you ever noticed the things that you feel addicted to, the things that pull you away from the good things, never let up? Like you can't choose not to do them? Like you are stuck in addiction and it's permanent? And the more that you fight, the more that you say, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to turn away from that. That idea of free will that God subscribes to, sin does not. Sin says you are mine. And I choose you. And you chose me. So let's keep doing this thing. I don't, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want alcohol to be a part of my life anymore. I don't want drugs to be a part of my life anymore. I don't want pornography to be a part of my life anymore. All of that keeps pulling and keeps pulling because it's not the same rules. There are different rules of engagement. And so this idea of free will doesn't just come from being vigilant once because you're trying to be vigilant against the things of the old you, 
the old thing, you're going to have to fight 10 times harder to choose God who is allowing you to choose him than you are to choose the thing that won't let you go. Because this is easy and this is hard. And that's okay. But your vigilance in being vigilant is determining that you are going to choose over and over and over and over again the good thing because you so don't want to continue to choose the thing that won't let you go. And so be vigilant is different than getting vigilant because you're going to have to work a lot harder to stay in the good than it is to stay in in the bad. For those that are baptized within the last 20 years, the newly arrived three easy steps to becoming a new humanity. But for a minute, let's talk to the people who are firmly planted. Those who, have, who get it, they understand it. Adventist, sixth generation. It's in my blood. For those of you, you have a completely different flight plan. Step number one, stay humble. different. It's not just being humble, it's staying in a rhythm of humility. Bailey Gillespie, Tim Gillespie's father, taught me this at, at La Sierra. He said he went to go preach uh, at some church, and there was, a, there was a woman in the third pew. She was 89 years old. And Bailey Gillespie said, I know that of all of us here today, none of us can say that we have never sinned. Can any of you say you've never sinned? And this woman, in her infinite wisdom from the third pew, raised her frail hand. And Bailey bit. I don't know why he did it. But he bit. He looked at the woman in the third row and said, you, you have never sinned before. She said, nope. In 89 years, I have never sinned. He said, that's amazing. Congratulations. And he walked down the the, the, the platform, and he shook her hand. He said, never sinned. She said, nope, I have never sinned. So said, we must be really proud of that. She said, I am. And he said, this is the most disappointing day of your entire life because you made it 89 years and stumbled right there. I think he killed her. I, I gotta believe the reason why the story ended is she just, blah. <laughs> no, Jesus, take me now. But it's hard if you think you've got it. If you are Adventist through and through. I know more about special K-loaf. I've forgotten more LNG white quotes than this guy has ever heard. It's got to be hard to stay humble. It's not just being humble. You have to stay there. Otherwise, your wisdom just bleeds out on the third pew. Staying humble is so much harder if you've been working so hard to cultivate all of these things and think, well, that's it. I've got it. Bingo. I go to church on the right day. I drink only the, the water they serve at these natural grocers. I've never eaten chicken. That's it. I got them all. It's got to be hard to stay humble. So for the firmly planted... Find ways to do it. Step number two, different than all the others. Stay hungry. 
It's different than being hungry. It's different than getting hungry. Your job is to keep the faith. Keeping the faith when what you've been told may may be that uh, there's a finish line somewhere out there, that Jesus is coming soon. If only you can do these number of things, Jesus will come back and you don't have to worry about this anymore because it's probably getting harder because you've been doing the same thing thinking it's the thing that's going to save you and you build this routine and your habits have gotten to the point where they're stale. It's harder to keep the faith if you've been doing it for so long thinking that, man, it's got to be about time. Jesus, where are you? In order to stay hungry, you've got to keep that faith. You've got to play within the realm of understanding that hunger is necessary, that you haven't learned all of it. So keep the faith. Don't remove yourself from anything else, but find ways to be a part of the story rather than narrate the story. Step number three, different than all the rest. Stay vigilant. Your job in all of this, those who are firmly planted in staying vigilant, is to protect this house. Which is easier said than done. Because all these young kids keep coming here with their drums and their jeans, goatees but no hair on top of their heads. They use all these weird words I've never understood and they won't stop dancing and wiggling and they run in church. How do I protect it if they, they keep cutting pieces out of it and they keep chiseling the corners of these foundations and I was here when they built I remember when we did it was my father who you gotta protect this house one way or another this thing has to stand stay vigilant three easy steps you pick whichever version you want to fly through Here's the hard part. This sermon is supposed to deal with innovations. And I'm going to call myself out. There is nothing that I have said to this point that is innovative. Nothing. I'm just, I'm just telling you things you already know. There's nothing about this that is innovative. So we have to start looking at innovation differently. What's the difference between this digital innovation, this business innovation, and Christian innovation? Digital innovation says it's got to be new, faster, brighter, smaller, bigger. It's got to be more expensive. People have to want it. They have to need it. It has to be something they can't live without. We've got to find ways to just constantly re-up this new thing. If it's new, it's great. Digital innovation says always change it. But here's the thing. Christian innovation is not digital innovation. As a matter of fact, Christian innovation has little to do with making sure you have the first thing before the next person. We sang about it. I'll bring it up again. It's the same love. In your daily walk for next week, as you go through and you read, there's this idea that when, when you realize that these people who don't know who Jesus is, these women at the well who are like, wait a second, he's not supposed to talk to me because he's a man and I'm a woman. And we're from different backgrounds and different traditions when you realize that Jesus reaches out and says to that woman that her salvation is a part of God's kingdom, 
we all become that woman. The innovation of Christianity is not being different. It's being set apart by being a part of something bigger. You're not supposed to step out and be different. You're supposed to be exactly the same in that God loves you and that's all that matters. And when we start looking at each other that way, innovation becomes something different. It becomes something where we don't rely on just me and my story. It's not just about what I get out of this. It's not my song that I sing. Within Christianity, Christianity, innovation is not about the me. It's about the we. So that innovation has to work backwards. So what I'd like to do is work through everything that we just talked about and talk about what it takes for us to start making room on our shoulders for the next generation to see further than we ever could alone. And I think in doing that, we'll start to look at these different patterns, these different flight patterns, and see them differently. If we're going to move, we've got to move better together. So for those of you who are deeply rooted, this idea of protecting the house, it's not for you. It's just not. Because here's the thing, at a certain point when your father and, you, and, and in the past and I did this and here's what I contributed, you stood on this stage as a baby and looked out into a room and said, it takes a village to raise this kid and we're calling all of you to help raise it. Those people in that room did it for you. And you are now that person doing it for the next generation. I see Shannon sitting here and this baby that's coming and this dedication, how beautiful. By being the firmly rooted, the ones who don't have to work as hard to maintain all of the things that you've already worked through, you're protecting this house for that kid. It's not really for you anymore. It was for a time. But protecting this faith and keeping this faith, it is so that the faith in somebody else can be reignited or ignited for the first time. It's for the people who are struggling, the people who have been baptized within the last 20 years. Ray talked about this last week, this idea of uh, Moses in Numbers uh, chapter 5. Moses pours out some of the spirit that was poured into him into 70 elders, and they went and prophesied. That's you. You're the Moses. And so your job is to pour out the Holy Spirit that has been given to you into all of these people who are doubting, who are struggling, who are a part of this narrative and need this house for them so they can bring the next generation in. Protect this house. Do it for somebody who did it for you. For those of you who are in the middle, those who are newly minted, Matt Soapman did a a wonderful job with the kid story. And I want to take pieces from that. In Acts 2, it says, Sons and daughters will prophesy. Young men will see visions. Old men will dream dreams. For those of you who are newly minted, while the people above you are protecting this house for you, you are laying the groundwork for those who have not yet walked in, those who are still thinking about it. Because those are the young men who need to dream the dreams. Those are the sons and daughters who will see the vision. Those are the prophecies that we need to hear. You are not only doing it for yourself and for your own understanding, your own salvation. Your job is to spread it around 
so that those who are next can enjoy what it is you've enjoyed. The connective tissue here is that God is relentless in chasing everyone. And so we're better together. The same love is given to all of us. And so we love together. The endless alleluia is sung by all believers. And so we are more beautiful together. And he is the Lord of all. And so we are stronger, wiser, together. You can pick whatever flight plan you want, but the reality is this. They all weave together. Whether you're thinking about it, whether you're newly minted, whether you've been here for a long time, because the reality is this. The only difference between A, B, and C is time and helpers. So give them time and seek help. And so I'm going to call you all to action here today. You've all got homework. For those of you who are firmly rooted, your job is this. Look around and find those who are struggling through their newly minted, established behaviors and and habits as somebody who's accepted Jesus into their life and is still trying to figure out how to do it well. Find them. Seek them out. Introduce yourself. Take them out to lunch. Invite them into your home. Tell them your story. And ask them to tell you theirs. To tell them theirs. Because there's a house here that we've got to protect and we're going to fill it with all of those people so that they can protect it for the next generation and the next generation. And you've got to show them how to do it. Find them. They desperately need you. We desperately need you. For those of you who are newly minted, look around. Find the people who are visitors. Find the ones who are still thinking about it, who aren't quite sure. Hey, we're testing it out this week. My man Bryce took a step of faith today. I used to go to this church, but I decided we're going to this church today. Courage. Find them. Help them. Just let them know you're there. Hey, if you have questions, I'm here for you. They desperately need it. And for those of you who are thinking about it, whether you're here, you're watching online, you're going to watch the the stream, the archive later, I'm going to make it really simple. There are four phone numbers on the screen right now. One of them is mine, one of them is Japheth's, one of them is Pastor Aaron's, one of them is Pastor Vanessa's. I'll write the text for you. Let's go get coffee. Doesn't have to be anything, no firm commitments. You just have some questions. I'm wondering whether or not I'm tempted to. Let's talk about it because there's something beautiful on the other side. It's so worth it. There's a community of people ready to love you. They are primed to say hello, to say welcome, to say come alongside. There's this house we're all here trying to protect, and it's beautiful, so come be a part of it. Text any one of us anytime. We will find ways to have the conversation. Because here's the thing, we're about to go through 
a fire and a flood. And there are people who are out there ready to kidnap you. You've got spiritual blindness. You've got darkness. There's death. All of this is waiting for all of us. And in those moments, it's better to lean on each other because we are stronger together. We are better together. We are safer together. We are beautiful together. We are a new thing. So let's go together.